Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. How many of you have been keyed into the news this past week? If you're like me, you've been uh, watching some pretty heavy things happen around the world, watching reports that the Taliban has put the church in Afghanistan on notice, know where they meet, know who they are. Maybe you have friends that know things about people over there. They all basically just expect to die. Um, seen people falling from airplanes and fathers handing their babies over razor wire to Marines and all kinds of horrible, awful, heavy things. Little girls being ripped out of their father's arms in Australia to be forcibly vaccinated. A lot of heavy things going on um, that we come here maybe feeling the pressure of this morning. And that's part of why we come, because we worship a God who's sovereign over all these things, things that are outside of our control. We're here worshiping him, knowing he's in control, that we can trust him, and that we can leave those things out of our control in his hands and focus on the things we can control. Transform societies, transform worlds, start with transformed hearts. So that's what we're here for this morning. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, this morning, as we come before you, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world, especially our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are with faith and zeal and much trembling, facing the very likelihood of becoming martyrs for the sake of your kingdom over the coming days, weeks, and months. We pray that you would be near to them and that you would give them faith, that you would preserve and protect them. We pray that you would cause much good to come from these evil things. We pray for the missionaries in hard places many of us know and are concerned for. We pray for the church in China as tensions continue to escalate there as well. Father, you are good and sovereign over all of these things and as the church has long recognized, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. So we pray that from the ground, life would blossom where blood is shed. Pray for the churches in our presbytery and in our fellowship as we seek to build your kingdom here. Thank you for New Geneva Academy, our pastoral training institute, and the new class of men who are being trained for ministry. Pray that you would be with them and that you would bless them and cause them to become faithful ministers of your word. Pray for the churches here in this community that they would be faithful to proclaim your word in all of its beauty and would not be ashamed of any of it. Pray for the hearts of every, every person here this morning. Those who came here hurting with heavy hearts, that you would lift their eyes to you. For those here with guilty consciences, that they would find rest in the grace of your son. For those with hard hearts, that you would soften them by the work of your spirit. For those among us who rejoice, that their rejoicing would redound to the praise of glory of your grace and would lift all of our hearts here. As we come to your word, Father, give us all soft hearts and tender consciences and attentive ears so that we can receive your word. Give us ready hands and feet so that we may obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. We already know what this morning's passage is going to be about. Um, we talked about it some last week, and it's just how we mapped it out, how we planned it. Um, we are coming 
really close to the end of our summer series on the introduction to Proverbs, the first nine chapters, we're in chapter seven, which is another warning against adultery. It's almost like sex is a big deal to God, right? It's beautiful and glorious in its proper place between a husband and wife in the security of the covenant of marriage and utterly destructive outside of that context. Destructive to you, body and soul. Destructive in the person that you engage in sexual activity with, body and soul. And with collateral damage, it hurts many people around you and can last a really long time. So the Bible constantly warns us about the dangers of unlawful sex. Proverbs, a book written to young men, now here in chapter 7, addresses sex for the fourth time. Fourth time in seven chapters, a whole chapter devoted to it today. Let's read the passage. Proverbs chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night in darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Nothing too new here, right? Just more. More detail, more intensity. We've noticed this pattern before, right? We open it up, then we go a little bit deeper. We open it up, we go a little bit deeper as we go. It's kind of daddish, right? Dad's ever been there? Son, I've got something to say to you, all right? But now, now I really, like, now I know what I really want to say to you, and you just kind of, like, elevate, escalate it. It's a pretty dad thing to do. I know I just gave you an earful. Turns out, that was just the warm-up. Now I've got more to say. Amanda's laughing. She's like, yeah, I hate it when you do that. (laughs) 
It's a pretty dad thing to do. But the Proverbs basically follows that pattern. I'm not justifying you just like berating and exacerbating, exasperate, ex, exasperating. Thanks, Nathan. Exasperating your sons. But it's a pretty dad thing to do. All right, we're going to go through this passage one step at a time. This passage is for you. If it feels especially for you, it is. Not because I handpicked it, but because God in his providence chose it. We planned this out in April. It's where we're at. So if God has something to say to you this morning, listen. Listen. It's his love and kindness to you. My son. Hear that tenderness again. Can't stop saying it enough. My son. Dads, talk to your sons this way. Hear the love and tenderness and pride that comes with that sense of ownership, my son. And talk to your sons like this. Every son wants and needs to hear that. My son, keep my words. Hold on to them, obey them. Treasure up my commandments with you. Value them, prize them more than wealth or riches, more than gold or silver or precious things. Treasure up my commandments. Remember chapter three. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Treasure up my commandments with you. Treasure up the commandments of your parents, your elders. Treasure up, especially the commandments of your heavenly father. They're for your good. They're for your joy. They're for your happiness. They're given out of love to protect you. And only a fool despises that kind of love and wisdom. Keep my commandments and live, he says, which implies what? Keep my commandments and live. Or die. Or die. Don't keep them and die. Keep my commandments and live. This is a father pleading with his son to listen, to hear him and to obey him. Dad has been around. Dad knows. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. The apple of the eye is the center of it. The pupil. Commentators get stupid here. Well, does that mean keep it like at the forefront of your eyes? Or does that mean like the eyes are really sensitive so you have to protect it? It's poetry, guys. It's poetry. Yes. 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 Keep it always before your eyes so it lights your path. Yes, guard and protect it. Once it's gone, you're blind. Bind them on your fingers. Keep them, keep them right there at hand so that they govern all that you do. On your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Get it deep down inside of you so that it transforms you. So that it becomes second nature. It's there. It's in your ears. It's in your heart. You've read God's word. You've kept it. You've meditated on it. You memorize it. So that it's there at hand. Why? Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. Listen, this dad is talking to his son. He knows his son wants what? Intimacy and companionship, right? 
That's the part, that's part of the appeal, the first part of the appeal for both the wicked man and the forbidden woman, right? You remember going back to all these other passages where they say, come throw your lot in with us. Come be a part of the crowd. Come be a part of the group. Don't you want the companionship, right? Come, come to bed with me. Don't you want the intimacy and the companionship? Every young man wants that sense of belonging from the boys and from the ladies. And dad knows that. He's been there. We all know that. We all feel that. We want that sense of companionship. We want to belong. We want to be wanted by the group, by the cool kids table. We want to be wanted by the ladies. Dad says, make wisdom your companion. She won't forsake you and she won't lead you to death. She'll always be there. Remember, as we've gone through Proverbs, wisdom is always a woman. And even every time it says it, in reference to wisdom, in Hebrew, you know what it is, right? She. She. Like we talked about at the end of chapter 6, when you walk, she will lead you. When you lie down, she will watch over you. When you awake, she will talk with you. Wisdom is the companion Make her your lady. He's been saying it the whole time. She'll guide you, guard you, protect you, watch over you, talk with you. She'll be with you from the moment you go to bed to when you wake up in the morning and throughout the day. Lady Wisdom herself offers herself to be your companion. She even offers herself to be the lover of, the, of fools, to, of the naive and simple. But they're too stupid and foolish to take her up on it. Lady Wisdom's making a comeback next week. And round two is way more than round one. Like everything else, make her your companion. More than anything else, she'll protect you from the most enticing thing about the strange and forbidden woman or the forbidden man, which isn't her beauty, actually. It's not actually her body. It's her flattering lips. It's her flattering lips. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. I hope we all understand that what we want in adultery, what entices us all the most, more than anything else, is flattery. It's the lie. It's the pretense of love and respect. It's the feeling wanted. It's the feeling desired. It's the feeling respected, esteemed more than it is even our own desires. It's the lie that we want. Wisdom protects you from that kind of thing. Wisdom sees it's a trap long before the trap is sprung. It sees the words for what they are. It sees how things end. It says no. Solomon then tells a story. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, okay? He's up high somewhere. He's got a nice vantage point. Looking out through his lattice is like, Peeking out through the blinds, okay? There he is. Looking out my window, I've peeked out through the blinds. What have I seen? I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. So he set his eye on someone. He's found a man, a young man, who's simple and senseless. What's the deal with this simpleton? This young man, this naive man. What does he do? Just passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening. 
at the time of night and darkness. So what does a simple young man do? He goes out at night, under the cover of night, thinking his ways will be hidden, takes the road to a place he has no business being. Some woman's house, some girl's house, he's out at night. He's looking for trouble. He's just out looking for trouble. Anybody in this room ever been there? I have, right? Solomon's not stupid. He's writing this thousands of years, thousands, thousands of years ago. About 3,000 years ago, he wrote this. Nothing has changed. Boys will be boys. Fools will be fools. Important thing to notice here. We've talked about this as we've gone along. Solomon writes most of his warnings to us as if we're on the path to wisdom and life, right? And if we're not careful, it can seem like he's saying, hey, I know you're doing your best. You're great. Things are going well. Just watch out for the bad guys. You're going to kind of pull you off. But here's he's describing what it looks like to be pulled off. What does it look like? The bad guys haven't come and pulled him off the path. The seductress hasn't come and pulled him off the path. He's walked off. He's already forsaken wisdom. He's out looking for trouble. He's already left the path. The battle was over before it began. She didn't have to pull him off. He was looking for her. He was ready to be taken in. He was looking to get caught in the trap. How often has that been you? Looking to get caught in the trap. Oh no, I was caught in somebody's trap. I was just the victim of the trap. Maybe I have a little bit of plausible deniability here. Foolishness and naivete, especially when you have the clear commands of Scripture and godly parents and pastors and elders talking to you, is culpable, morally culpable. You're responsible. How long have you, how many times have you gone out looking to fall into the trap? Gone to that girl's house. Gone to that guy's house. Gone to that bar. To that party. To that club. To that part of town. Some of us have gone that far. How do you get to be that far gone? How do you get there? We all know what the answer is. It's one step at a time. We harden and kill our consciences. We make ourselves comfortable with sin. We, we start by entertaining that thought, by indulging that fantasy, by dwelling on that memory, by watching that movie with that scene, by reading that book, by going to that website, by searching those words, by downloading that app, clicking that link, sliding into those DMs, sending that text to that person, hanging out with those friends. You're already off the path. You're exposed. You're vulnerable. You're out looking for trouble, and trouble's going to find you. She or he is lying in wait. And when you show up on her corner at her door, she knows why you're there. She knows what you came for. You didn't find your way there on accident. She takes control of the situation. She's dressed to kill. She knows how to act. She knows what to say. You came and swallowed the bait. She just needs to set the hook. Behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. 
She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. She knows why you came. She's dressed the part. She did it for you. She's enticing. She's going in for the kill. She's going for the kiss. She knows you're waiting to give in. With bold face, she says, I had to offer sacrifices today, and today I've paid my vows. What's that about? She's already offered herself to you. What's that about? I paid my how to make sacrifices, I paid my vows. It's about two things. One is simple. She's got snacks. When you go to make your sacrifices, you come home with a lot of meat. A feast that you're supposed to use to celebrate the kindness and forgiveness of God. She's made her sacrifices. She's got some choice meat at home. You get to come and eat and enjoy with her. That goes along with the other purpose, which is heightening the sense of the forbidden. Reminding you that what you're about to do is bad, but you're in it together. You're conspiring together. You're going to eat the sacrificial feast together while the husband's away on their beautiful bed in defiance of God and man. Let's go to hell together, baby. Besides, it's not like we're going to get caught. There won't be consequences. The man is gone. He's on a long journey. He's not going to come back to the next moon, maybe a month. No consequences. He took a big bag of money. He's out doing some big stuff. No consequences here. Very similar to the appeal to join the gang. Come for companionship. Stay for the allure of the forbidden. Enjoy treasure that's not yours. Promise you won't get caught. Promise you won't have to pay up. Promise. Solomon, who's seen it all, who's lived it all, sees it coming from a mile away and is shaking his head. He knows how it ends. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Flattery, 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 until all at once he follows her. He's gone and set himself in the trap. He thinks he has some internal resistance. He doesn't have any internal resistance left. He doesn't have anything left. Just the last vestige that's already, the fight's already over. All at once, he realizes what he came to do. It's done. He gives in. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. All at once he gives in. says, forget it, I'm here, I'm doing this, no turning back. And there isn't any turning back. Once it's done, it's done. He's chosen death, he doesn't even know. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. In all her slain are her mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Listen, pay attention. Don't let your heart turn. Don't stray. Many victims, many slain. He said 3,000 years ago, don't be one of them. Going to her house is the path to hell. It's the way to death. It will destroy you. Okay, 
Okay, what if I've already blown it? What if I've already blown it big? Then what? Is there hope for me? Well, who wrote this passage? Remind me. Who wrote it? Say it out loud, somebody. Solomon. Who is Solomon's daddy? David. Who is Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Some of you maybe don't know the story, so I'm going to tell it. 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. You know what happens next? David says, "Uh uh-oh. She's pregnant, I'm going to get caught. He sends for Uriah, her husband, to come home. Thinks, if I can get Uriah off the battlefield, Uriah's been away from his wife for a long time. Then they're going to go make love. He'll think the baby's his. Problem solved. Uriah is a righteous man. Uriah won't go home. He says, the ark of God and Israel and Judah dwell in booze. My Lord, Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. David's in a corner. David makes him stay another night, gets him drunk, tries to send him home. If he's drunk, it can be in Bathsheba's hands. (laughs) He sleeps on the steps. He won't go home. So then what does David do? He writes a message and he puts it in Uriah's hand. And the message says, put Uriah at the front lines where the fighting is hottest and pull back. So that's what Joab did. And Uriah died. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, She lamented over her husband. And when the mourning period was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So then God sent a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan came to David and confronted David with his sin, told a story, got David really angry, and then pulled the rug out from under him and said, you're the man. And David was cut to his heart. And then Nathan lays out the consequences of David's sin for David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. You did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So the child's born, eventually the child becomes sick and dies. Some point around then, David writes a whole psalm of repentance called Psalm 51. And in the midst of all of that, this is what happened. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. God did not spare David the consequences of his sin. Some of them were immediate. The child died. Some of them came down the road, but still in David's lifetime, David went into exile. His son rebelled against him. His son slept with his wives on the rooftops of the city. And then that son was killed. Consequences are real. David returned to power to set things right. But what else happened? A whole lot of grace and goodness. God gave us Solomon. God gave David Solomon. The kingdom prospered under Solomon. The temple was built. Solomon wrote three books of the Bible, including Proverbs. God gave us the story of David and Bathsheba as a cautionary tale of the consequences and a reminder of God's grace and goodness to those who have truly truly blown it. And God didn't stop there. How many of y'all skip genealogies when you read in the Bible? This is why you should not skip genealogies. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. If you know, you know. If you don't, read it. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nation. Sounds boring, right? Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Also interesting. Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and then more names and more names and more names. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called the Christ. Through David and Bathsheba's sin, God gave us the line of Jesus. God loves to bring redemption out of sin. He loves to make all things new. He does not take away the consequences. They're real, but he will load them with silver linings. There will be bitterness, but there will be sweetness too. Because he forgives those who come to him. Because he brings and loves to bring beauty from ashes, even the ashes of the fires that you heap into your own laps. But for that to happen, you must humble yourself and repent, just as David did. David let his repentance be public. He let it be written down. He let it be recorded. He didn't have to. He wrote a song about it. He can go read it. You can't be afraid of the consequences of being found out or bringing your sin to the light. 
If you've been found out and exposed, if God has sent you a Nathan the prophet, that is God's kindness to you. Your sins can go ahead of you and there can be redemption or they can follow behind you and there can be judgment. But they won't be escaped. The damage is done. So there's hope. This passage that we studied this morning was written by the son of David and Bathsheba for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your warnings. We thank you that you love us enough to warn us of the consequences of sin. We thank you for the ways that you have kept us from sin, and we are sorry for the ways that we have failed and rebelled against you. We pray that you would have mercy on us this morning and that you would give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.